and welcome to The Dirt, in association with Harrod Horticultural. We're the podcast that doesn't squash your enthusiasm for gardening, even when you end up in a pickle. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Laura's co-host, Blake. We've got plenty of gardening chat lined up for you across the show, but first we're joined today by Aaron Nelson, a city gardener who over the space of three years has completely transformed his outdoor space. Welcome to The Dirt, Aaron. Hello, how are you both today? Yeah, good, thank you. Yes, good. You're joining us from Manchester. I am indeed. The sun is out. It's a rare occasion in Manchester, so it's quite a good day. It started off well. <laughs> good. <Yeah. laughs> and um, and how are things in your garden at the moment? Yeah, it's kind of it's early spring, so things are now starting to kind of pop up, and we've got some colour coming through. I mean, the winter and sort of lockdown three has felt very very long. But now the sun's starting to come out, it really is starting to spring to life again and kind of come into full uh, flourish, which is what I love. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, as you say, it's such a welcome feeling after what's felt like the longest winter ever, really, isn't it? I know. It just felt like there was no end to it. So, uh, but yeah, we're on the right side of that now, aren't we? It's picking up. We certainly are. Um, so. We would like to start off by asking you if you could tell us about some of the biggest successes you've had since you've been gardening. Yeah, so I think for me, the biggest kind of success is actually turning this space into a garden and kind of actually making it feel like it's coming alive. Mm -hmm. So I bought my house um, three years ago. And the garden was virtually untouched. It was kind of it was a space that had died off. Um, the guy that had lived in this house before hadn't really done anything with it. And I remember coming from the viewing and just looking around going, there is nothing alive here. There's nothing alive <laughs> in this space. So for me, actually being able to get some life into there has felt like a huge success. And, you know, as you said, it's kind of it's taken three years. But through doing that and bringing in lots of plants, it's brought in a lot of wildlife as well. And that's something that I've really noticed is how many birds, how many insects, that are now coming in and using that space. And that's something that I kind of, I get a lot of pride in because I think, you know, that space has been there long before me. It will be there long after I've perhaps sold this house and moved on. But actually just the fact I've created something that, you know, the local birds and insects and squirrels can come in and use, that's felt really rewarding for me and felt like a massive um, success. I think you notice that kind of change more when you live in a city or urban area, don't you? Because if you're in the countryside, you kind of take it for granted a little bit. But when you're surrounded by a lot of buildings and brickwork and stuff, you suddenly start noticing when you are attracting that wildlife into your garden. So it's quite rewarding. Yeah, exactly. Because prior to prior to this, I've always lived in sort of a city centre flat or apartment. I've never had an outdoor space before. And my house is just sort of situated outside of, I guess, kind of Greater Manchester or kind of outside of the perimeter. Mm -hmm. So again, I didn't know in that first year, I just thought not having a lot of wildlife, not having a lot of birds, I kind of thought that was normal. Mm -hmm. But now three years down the line, I actually realise it's because the space was pretty much dead and there was nothing there to attract them in. Yeah. Um, so when you when you moved in and as you say there was nothing really um, really living out there at the time what was the first the first sort of task that you undertook did you look at the space as a whole and plan it in or did you just get stuck in and chuck some plants in the ground um, I know for a lot of people you know a lot of people are going to say sort of 
painting fences and painting sheds, that's not part of gardening. But actually, I think when you've got a really small space and a really small city garden, it is Mm -hmm. because that totally sets the tone of the space. And that then probably will influence what plants you decide to put in. So for me, it was actually just kind of making that space feel like I wanted to be in it. And that was through painting the fences in the shed. Um, but then after that, yeah, I really, st- I, I, I just wanted to fill the ground with things that were living. And of course, I made some mistakes along the way. I was buying things and putting them in parts of the garden where they would just never grow successfully. But for me, it was all just about getting life into that space, first and foremost. Mm. And whenever I was choosing what I was going to put in there, I really wanted something that would attract, you know, the pollinators um, in there. It was making the choices of those plants that would help achieve that. Yeah, yeah. Um, You touched on a little bit there the idea of some early failures in the garden and maybe things that didn't go quite so well, Um, which leads us nicely into the next section where we would love to hear about any of those sort of funny failures or accidents or things that didn't go quite to plan oh there are there are so many and I still feel very much like I'm making them today but I think one of the most embarrassing ones um for me is so far in the past three years I just have not been able to get any sunflowers to grow (laughs) and I know I know these are really simple seeds that quite often, (laughs) you know, kids grow very successfully, get them to grow as tall as the house, whatever. But for me, I've just not been able to get any sunflowers to grow. I get them to a certain stage and then they either get eaten by slugs or they just die off. And I just cannot get them to grow beyond that stage that's um that's such a it's such a funny thing that I think everybody that you speak to in the garden always has one crop like that that just no matter what you do (laughs) and it can often be something that people say is supposed to be simple and you're like just whatever I do it will not grow yeah also I've tried growing various types of mint which I know mint is meant to grow so easily and is meant to grow so many places yeah but again, it's one of those crops that for whatever reason, I'm doing something wrong that it just doesn't like. And after a little while, it will just, the plant will just die off and I'll never see it again. I think sometimes you just have to admit defeat and, and that you are uh, you can't grow everything, even if it is meant to, you know, in theory, be something that you can grow quite easily. Then you just have to give up and try something else. But um, uh, I've got to admit, you sent photos through of the before and after of your garden, didn't you? And it honestly looks like a different space yeah, really if it does. wasn't for you know the fact that you told us that it was the same garden I would not sure I would have believed it so yeah I, I completely agree in that um making that first thing that you do something to make you want to be out in the garden more can actually be the the best first step really by sort of adding that color and and painting something over you can really uh transform it quite quickly can't you and then you do want to be out there and you want to spend more time out there so Yeah, exactly. And that's what, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to fences and sheds, as I say, I know that's not hardcore gardening, but when you've got a really small and closed space, those are the biggest structures in that garden. So if you're not thinking about somewhere to revive those first and foremost, it doesn't really matter what else you put in or what plants or what crops you try to grow. The feeling of that garden still isn't going to be quite right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you're talking to two other gardeners here, neither of whom have enormous growing spaces either. So I think it's it's so true. And it's such an interesting point that in particularly in small spaces, things like that can have an enormous impact. And if they look really beautiful, then the lack of sunflowers is not such a big deal. <laughs> Nobody will notice. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe I just need to concentrate on that and not worry about the sunflowers. <laughs> And um, just bringing you back to one point with the with the sunflowers, you mentioned that um, they often get eaten by slugs. Is that um, do you suffer a lot with slug infestations in your garden, or did the sunflowers end up being the sort of sacrificial plants while you um, protected your edibles or whatever? Yeah, no. I so I I have been struggling quite a lot with it. I really noticed it last year. I. I I felt like it was a constant battle, really, to try and save everything from the slugs. Mm-hmm. Because I think as soon as they come into a space and they realise that there's something tasty, I feel like they must tell all of their friends to also <laughs> yeah. come to that space and come to that garden. And they really do. If you've got, you know, crops that you're growing, again, I do a lot of my kind of growing of crops in pots, really. And again, that's down to having limited space. And it's a bit easier, I guess, to protect them. But they still manage to, you know, to crawl up the side and devour everything yeah I think it's um it's such a strange one as you say they seem to call all their friends I often find as well that you go from having loads of seedlings and thinking oh haven't seen any any slugs yet this year this is all going pretty well then you'll blink and and then suddenly (laughs) there's loads of seedlings that have just been taken off at the tip and you think oh yeah okay they're still here after all they're still here (laughs) yeah I totally agree last year was the first year that I put a lot of focus on growing crops and not just um plants and flowers and I started off the year um sort of I don't want to say cocky but I was feeling very confident (laughs) in kind of what I'd started growing and then like you say it felt virtually overnight it felt like there was just a lot that disappeared and I know that the slugs were to blame um So we would love to know, do you have any cheeky hacks or tips that you'd like to share with the listeners? This can be time saving, money saving, um, how to get around the issue of um, small spaces, just anything that you would like to share. Yeah, I think one of the main things for me is to sort of shop for your garden, really, or decide what your garden um can play host to so in the kind of in the first year when I was a complete novice I found myself going to the garden center and and kind of buying what I wanted to buy or picking up the seeds that I wanted to kind of grow and then I get back to the garden and as they were kind of becoming more established I very quickly realized I didn't have anywhere to put them or you know the sunny part of the garden was full and I only had you know, the very dark corners of the garden available. And obviously they weren't going to grow in that. Mm -hmm. So I think my main tip is to actually just go, you know, stand in your garden, stand in your space before you go and purchase anything, before you start growing anything. And just think about what your garden can house and what it can actually, um, um, what it can help thrive. And go away and do a bit of research and actually shop for that space. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great tip because I think we've probably all been guilty of that, the sort of brush of blood to the head of like excitement in the garden centre and as you say, seeing things that you would just love to grow and then mm-hmm. actually getting back to your garden and thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know if this is going to work. And that can also happen with houseplants, can't it, Like, 
Yes, it can happen with house plants. <laughs> Just a little dig there from Laura because I killed a lot of my house plants last year and I've spoken about that um a bit before but then um and I was like just rein me in if at the start of next year if I decide that I'm gonna buy a load of new ones just tell me not to do it and then I went to the garden center and bought a load of new ones and um yeah so I'll probably kill them off this year but um too many house plants now and nowhere to put them or not enough sunny windowsills to put them on so um that, that's always the case need to think more before buying stuff well I do think though on in the grand scheme of problems in life too many plants it's not a bad problem to have, really. No, is that's it? True. <laughs> we just need to, uh, I guess it becomes about vertical growing and things like that, just putting <laughs> them in every conceivable space. Yeah, that's kind of the point. That's the point that I'm at, really, with my garden is I've kind of I've got a lot, a lot of the ground cover sorted. And now I'm thinking, right, what can I start growing vertically? How can I start growing yeah. up to kind of use even more space? But yeah, in that first year, sort of especially in that first year, you know, I was buying things that really did need that sunny part of the garden and I was putting it in in the worst possible spot and everything was just dying off. And it's quite, um, whenever you're starting out and you're kind of learning, you really start then thinking, oh, is this for me? It's a lot of effort and I'm not getting the results, mm-hmm. but it's because I wasn't really paying attention to where the plants or the crops needed to be. Yeah. And you also um, touched on when you started growing edibles um in your garden was that a turning point and was there a point when I know you just mentioned that you can when things are difficult you can think oh goodness am I doing the right thing is this for me but was there a point say for example when you harvested and ate your first strawberry that you just thought oh yes actually this is very much for me yeah I kind of I had that moment last year and I know the entire it felt like the entire country moved to gardening last year but I was already (laughs) at that point um so I don't you know everyone kind of turned the gardening but I was already at that point um but yeah I'd kind of I'd got the I'd seen the results in the previous couple of years probably more with I guess flowers really um Mm. and I thought oh yeah you get a a reward whenever they grow and then I thought right I want to start growing some edibles and that moment when you know I had the first chili that appeared on a plant um, Mm. and I was able to take it and you know use it in a meal I thought hold on a minute this is the ultimate reward really I've been Mm. able to grow something I've been able to use it in the kitchen and now I'm eating it and, you know, it's not travelled any more than about sort of five or six metres in order for that to happen. It's not been flown halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really think for me that kind of turning point did come whenever I started to see the results of trying to grow those edibles. Um, so before you go, is there one thing that you could kind of sum up from your three or so years gardening as to you know that big lesson that you've learned um that you might pass on to another newbie that's looking to start out or, or transform a small city garden into a haven of wildlife yeah just don't overwater your your plants or your crops i i very easily done yeah i very much started out thinking oh you know the more that i water them the more that they'll grow but the reality is that is not the case. The more that you water things, if you know, if you're overwatering them and they've got really, really bad drainage, again, all you're doing is probably killing them off. So yeah, the biggest lesson that I've learned is not to um, overwater things. And if you're growing in pots, uh, you know, make sure that you've got really good drainage in there. Mm-hmm. 
I had two yeah. bay trees in the garden that I put either side of the shed and they were perfectly symmetrical and it looked great. And one side of that had um, really well-drained soil and it completely, it's flourishing and it's still there today. I'm river trimming it back. And on the other side, the drainage is so much worse. And that bay tree just um, started dying off and the leaves were going that really horrible brown and yellow. Mm. And I've moved it to a new spot and I've managed to save it. But it's kind of, it's the ultimate... Um, it's the ultimate example, really, where I've got these two exact, you know, exactly the same um, shrubs, um, but just with those two different conditions. And I know what it is. I know it's the soil. Just with that, one of them was thriving, and the other one just did not like it at all. So yeah, just don't overwater and make sure that you've got enough drainage and pots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so interesting as well. That, as you say, exactly the same plants, exactly the same pots and everything it goes to show that there is always something new to learn in the garden even if it is down to just the positioning or the growing medium or whatever there's there's always something more that you can learn and take away from the situation yeah exactly I think a lot of people when they start gardening they perhaps regrow the same thing year after year but you will still learn through that because every year um, you know things are different if you've got more rain one year or if you've got more sunshine you can still grow the same crops year after year but you continue to learn because you're faced with this new set of conditions that you're trying to make things grow in yeah absolutely um well thank you so much for joining us today it's been really lovely to chat to you and hear all about your garden and when we promote the episode i'm sure if it's okay with you we can pop some of those pictures of your of your space up and inspire lots of social media followers the years i'd love to know what people think um the shed is bright pink i'm just going to warn everyone it's very (laughs) it's very impactful i'd love to know if you see it in social media let me know what you think yeah um well thank you so much it's been really great to chat and blake shall we go and talk about harrod horticultural So, Laura, I've got some frequently asked questions about Harrod Horticultural's superior bean frame. So have you swatted up and are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm excited to talk about this product. Okay, let's go. So question number one, how long does the superior bean frame take to put together? It's really simple to put together and doesn't take long at all. Um, With the beautiful top unit, all you need to put it together is an Allen key and that's supplied with the frame. Um, Then you just tap in the sections with a rubber hammer and that is literally as easy as it is. Cool. Um, It might be the sort of thing where it's useful to have have either one of your allotment neighbours or family or friends, someone with you just to sort of Maybe not a one-person job, you know, but like support having an extra it. I mean, I hand, think it, yeah. it certainly can be done with one person, but I think for for ease, it would be nice with two yeah. people. And then when you're done, you can kick back with a cup of tea and look at your beautiful frame. And are there any guarantees on the frame? Yes, there are. There's a 10-year framework guarantee. Um, and the frame is really sturdy, really great quality and long-lasting. So it will see you and your beans through lots of seasons on the plot, which is great because obviously normally with bean frames, I mean, whether you put them together from 
bamboo canes or whatever you're having to kind of a yearly job, redo yeah. it every year but this can see you right through yeah um so you can use it for beans but can you use it for anything else um sort of like sweet peas or well it's ideal for any climbing plants to scramble up um it is specifically designed for legumes but um it's such a beautiful and practical piece of kit. I think why not give other crops a try too? Mm -hmm. It would be really lovely to see how people are using their frames. So any listeners who have got a superior beam frame, do um, tag us on social media and tag Harrod too, because we'd love to see how they're being used. I mean, it's a really beautiful piece of kit. And I think it adds, as well as the practical element of being a frame for your beans it it can also be a very decorative part of your plot too you'll be the envy of all the other allotment plot holders yeah um so the big question how much is it how much is it going to set us back well the superior beam frame costs 189 pounds the basic frame mm -hmm. and there are also extension kits available um but when you look at the guarantee on the frame you know you break that down over the years and it's it's a really good value for money bit of kit considering what good quality it is and how long it can last you and you know yeah investment yeah exactly so um yeah and you can get extension kits and stuff too so the bean growing world is your oyster so finally where do we get this from uh, you can purchase the frame from the website which can be found at harridhorticultural.com so blake I know that we're now both going to want to be adding a beautiful bean frame to to our gardens, but I suppose we should go and grab George and a cup of tea and have a team chat. Hello, Blake. Hello, George. How are you both doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, enjoying the weather. Yeah, all good. Good stuff. I would like to start off this week with some exciting news that I know you both know about, but I think we want to share it. Out now is our brand new magazine, Our Family Garden, which is very, very exciting because it's a gardening magazine for children and families to, with lots of projects that they can do together, from sowing seeds to making a bird feeder to craft projects like making dinosaurs out of your vegetables that you harvest and you get a great selection of stuff with it like a copy of Animal Planet magazine, a wall planner, a puzzle book, loads of stuff. So that is really exciting isn't it? Yeah when I was doing my shopping in Tesco the other day I saw it on the newsstand and you know it's always that like when you see a new magazine that you've helped put together sitting there on the newsstand it was quite an exciting thing I was like yes yeah. we did it <laughs> um, and it looked amazing so I hope everybody loves it as much as um, we did putting it together because it's a lot of fun it was so fun my, I have to say my copy has plopped through the door and <laughs> it's looking lovely so I think um, it, I have to say makes me want to be a child again well one of the many things that makes me want to be a and you have to go to Tesco to get it don't you yeah um Lots of fun. So talking about that kind of is a natural segue into the news story that I would like to bring to you, um, which is something from the Wildlife Trusts. They are 
launching nature friendly schools, mm-hmm. which is which is really great. It's basically almost thirty thousand school children from disadvantaged areas are set to enjoy classes in nature this spring in a groundbreaking outdoor learning project, and that's spearheaded by the National Trust. Um, which gives children from some of the poorest communities the opportunity to learn outside the classroom while being supported in their well-being, mental health and engagement with the school. So is it like an after-school club or is it actually part no, of every day? It actually says here, um, it's the sort of thing where imagine having your maths lesson next to a wildlife pond in a city or your English class under the shade of an ancient oak. Mm. And... Um, Science classes will be things like real life experiences in the natural world. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really great. And it basically means that these pupils will be spending some of their day learning outdoors, which, yeah, I think is great. I mean, I would like to suggest that we all do some of our work outdoors because I think it will be a great boost for everybody. And I think it's a really, really positive step in understanding how much nature can give you a boost mm. i think so i think we all learned that a bit during lockdown didn't we it was so much easier having lockdown when the weather was better than mm. when it was cold yeah also for like a child that doesn't like maths for example or doesn't like science imagine being outside it just mm. you know you would want to be in that lesson so much more than if you're just sitting in a yeah um you know boring classroom yeah and I think we can probably all remember the feeling of when there was something a little bit different about your lessons like whether Mm -hmm. it was a school trip day or whether you were taken outside for a something that was happening on the field or you know you were allowed out into the community for an hour or something it was all always really really exciting you're right those are the those are the days that stick with you aren't they so um yeah Good idea, good project. Mm. Mm, definitely. Uh, so my thing I wanted to raise this week, it's a short and sweet one, really, but it's I think it's good news uh, for all of us, really, and for, for growers everywhere. Like, So it's uh, from a report in, in The Guardian recently that said spring and summer demand for seeds this year is matching the crazy sort of unprecedentedly high demand that we saw last year that we, we put completely down to lockdowns and obviously the lockdowns are easing now but apparently the demand for seeds and plants isn't oh, wow. uh, so in this report there was a there was a supplier who, who told the guardian that even with machines they couldn't pack seeds fast enough um for, for the demand that was coming through which i thought was amazing and it's just nice that people are, are sticking with it that's really great news because i think um obviously as you say gardens offered people a lot of solace um over the over the lockdowns Mm. but knowing that it's something that people can can hang on to and can continue to enjoy and Mm -hmm. continue to sort of give you a bit of peace for for a while I think that's really brilliant news yeah I believe that as well I was at the garden center at the weekend and it was busy like everybody Mm -hmm. seems to be really um embracing their outdoor spaces and wanting to kind of invest some money in them and buy new plants and stuff and even actually I spoke to my mum at the weekend and she doesn't grow stuff in her garden ever and she was like right we've been to the garden center we've got like 10 different types of herbs we've got tomato <laughs> plants we've got chili plants we're ready to go oh, you know we're yeah. we're embracing our green thumb this year so um 
yeah even from a an anecdotal point of view I've, I've heard that yeah um, that's so great although Blake you were at a garden center well I never <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy any houseplants this time I've, I've learned my lesson not to so um, I actually got some new herb plants myself which was quite nice for my little herb garden um, some strawberry plants uh, and some compost obviously because you can't really go to the garden centre and not return with a bag of compost no this oh, is I can't. very true oh strawberries are you so excited for your strawberries I can't wait yeah I, I'm going all out I've, I've bought quite a lot um, I, I think last year I realized that I really like eating strawberries and mm. um, you get quite a lot of bang for your buck with them. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to embrace that and and grow more of them this year. Yeah, I've added some new mm. ones to my strawberry bed this year and I'm so excited. You know, when it's the sort of thing where every day you go out there and peer at the plant, like yeah. what's happened today Hurry since yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so finally, to end today's team chat, um, I saw quite a funny, strange story online uh, last week that I wanted to share. And that is um, a Belgian artist and social worker who has perhaps taken the idea of COVID bubbles and um, wearing a face covering to the next level right. by actually wearing a literal portable oasis um, what? on his head. So <laughs> how uh, does this work? Imagine, imagine like if a greenhouse was a hat, it's kind of that kind of thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so he's wearing it over his head. He's got plants in it. Um, he's cocooned in there and the air's being purified by the plants inside. Um, wow. Do you have, do you have a picture of this? Yeah. It's quite cool. Cause there's like a video of him just walking around um, the capital and people kind of, slightly not sure what's going on but also <laughs> wanting to know more and watching him um but it looks really really cool why yeah. not Are you gonna order one that would be great if you can I, don't, I wow i mean where do people come up with these ideas yeah i think uh, the fact that he's an artist as well i think maybe it's sort of um a statement mm. as much as anything else uh mm. Just thought yeah. it was an interesting thing. Who would have thought it? A portable little greenhouse. Well, you have now inspired us very much. So I think George and I are going to go and try and make our own greenhouse <laughs> bubble masks. <laughs> and while we do that, I think you've got some jobs on the plot, haven't you? I do, yeah. April has been an unusually cool and dry month this year, which may have impacted your veg crops. But when we do experience hotter days, don't forget to open greenhouse windows, vents and doors to stop young crops from suffering in the heat of the midday sun. It may also be worth thinking about investing in greenhouse shade paint to stop the scorching of plants too. To increase your chances of success outside, warm the soil prior to reaching for your seeds. This can be done simply by covering the earth with cloches, plastic sheeting or fleece until you are ready to sow. Within a matter of weeks, a flush of weed seedlings will appear under the covers and you just need to hoe these off. Move the hoe shallowly so that more weed seeds aren't brought up to the surface and then you'll be ready to make drills for your veg crops safe in the knowledge that they won't be swamped by weeds. Broad beans sown in pots in previous months can now be transplanted to their outdoor growing positions, ready to grow on and give you a tasty crop. Speaking of which, why not use the long bank holiday weekend to get creative and make some supports for your peas and beans to climb up. Mesh, wire grids, twiggy sticks and the like will all fit the bill. 
You'll be pleased later in the season that you planned ahead. Sow carrots outside in well-prepared soil, ensuring that there are no stones or large clumps of soil to impede growth and fork roots. Keep your carrot seedlings covered by fine mesh and space widely while sowing. The first generation of female carrot flies is on the wing between mid to late spring and can sniff out the scent of bruised foliage, which is caused by thinning overcrowded carrots. Have a wonderful week and until next time, happy growing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dirt in partnership with Harrod Horticultural. Harrod Horticultural is the go-to choice for UK-made superior quality gardening products, including grow-your-own solutions that will last the test of time, from raised beds and planters to bean frames and fruit cages. Discover the many growing advantages of using raised beds, tables or manger planters, all made even easier with sizes to suit all gardens. Giving the plants the right support with frames is key, as is protecting them to achieve ultimate growing success. Harrod Horticultural has got you covered. Harrod has all you need with the widest choice of crop cages, hoops, netting, cloches and other clever ideas that promise to take your growing to the next level. So to find out more, visit harrodhorticultural.com. Don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat... We've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.